0: Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, But the number of bricks that they made in the past you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, Let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men, that they may labor at it, and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves, wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task each day, as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past?
1: Then the foreman of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, Make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he, that is Pharaoh, said, You are idle, you are idle. That is why you say, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given to you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, "You shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day." They met Moses and Aaron, who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh, and they said to them, "The Lord look on you and judge, because you have made a stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and have put a sword in their hand to kill us." Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, "O Lord." Why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appear to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name the Lord I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery.
2: Things always get worse. Things always get worse before they get better. If you Google that phrase, you're going to get millions of responses, millions of results, and so many different attributions as to who had first said it, to the point that I'm not sure who first coined that phrase, but what I am certain of is that it's true. It's true. Things always get worse before they get better. As one blogger quipped, things typically get worse before they get better. That's not pessimism. It's reality. And friends, that's the reality that we witness in today's passage. In today's passage, the Lord's plan to rescue His people is finally set in motion. Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh. They confront him and saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go. Now, if you're looking in your Bibles, you'll notice the way it says, The Lord said, Let my people go. It's all in small capital letters. Because as we saw back in Exodus chapter 3, this is God's revealed name, Yahweh. Yahweh says, let my people go. And Pharaoh responds in verse 2, Who is Yahweh that I should obey His voice and let Israel go? I do not know Yahweh, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. You see, in other words, Pharaoh responds and he goes, Who is this Yahweh think He is? That He's going to come and demand of me my labor. You know, it would be like if I came up to you and I said, Hey, listen, Kevin says give him $20. And you'd go, who does Kevin think he is to demand $20 from me? But if I was to say, well, Kevin is collecting the money that you promised to pay for that autographed picture of Adam that you asked for. Then, of course, you would willingly pay the money because Kevin clearly possessed the authority to ask for that money in the first place. And Pharaoh is asking the same question. Who does this Yahweh think he is? Who does he think he is that he thinks he has the authority to demand or even ask that I would let Israel go. And it sets up an utterly epic confrontation between Yahweh and Pharaoh that we're going to see play out in the coming chapters. And the question is, who will be God? Who will be God? And friends, this is the exact same thing that happens to every one of us today. When you and I come face to face with God, our first reaction is usually, who does this God think He is to make demands on me? Who does He think He is to come saying that I need to obey His commandments? Calling me to deny my desires and follow His. Commanding me to submit to His design for all things. Friends, when we truly come face to face with the Lord, it sets up an epic confrontation. Who will be God in your life? You or the Lord? Where's the Lord challenging you maybe right now? Are there areas and things in your life that you're currently resisting Him? Friends, who's going to be God in your life? Now, Pharaoh's mad. He's incensed at the utter audacity of Moses and Aaron and this supposed God... And his response is to make the Israelites' lives miserable. He commands they have to continue to produce the same number of bricks every day, but they're no longer going to be given straw. They have to gather their own straw. Now, now the clay bricks that they were making, the straw was inserted for two reasons. One, to open up the clay to aid in the drying. But more than that, it was to give some strength to the bricks in the same way that we use rebar or wire mesh to reinforce concrete today. So no longer were they going to be given that straw for making their bricks and making them strong. Now they had to make the same number of bricks and they had to collect the straw themselves. Friends, things always get worse before they get better. And we need to remember that we need to remember this because the prospect of change, any kind of change is always far better than the pain of the actual change. The prospect of change is always better than the pain of change. Do you remember when Israel was first confronted with the prospect of change? The prospect of freedom? The prospect of deliverance? How'd they react? Chapter 4, verse 31. The people believed. They, and when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel, they'd seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and they worshipped. They celebrated. They celebrated at the prospect of change with joy. But now we come to chapter 5. And they no longer just have the prospect of change. They're faced with the pain of change. And the fact is, every one of us, friends, wants change. But we don't all want what change necessitates, which is pain. You know, we all like the prospect of change in our lives. We'd all like to lose 15 pounds. We'd all like a better relationship with our spouse or our children. We'd all like to be debt-free. And we celebrate the prospect of such changes, but the pain of making such changes? It's not so welcome when it comes, is it? Because the truth is, things always have to get worse before they get better. And this is what happened to Israel. The prospect of freedom from slavery sounded great to them, but now they realize that change is going to be painful. You know, once you begin the process of change, it gets painful because there's always forces that are acting against change in your life. You know, for example, those who are in recovery from alcohol or drug addictions, they know this. Once you start the process of change, things almost immediately get worse. You know, you face opposition from within and from without. You know, within, the cravings seem to increase justifications to return to the old life seem to come much easier. Memories of the old life become dim. Was it really that bad? And then even harder than that opposition from within is the opposition that comes from without. Because those friends that once drank or used with you often don't understand. And they'll even discourage your attempts at sobriety mostly because they themselves don't want to change. And if you start changing, they might think that they have to change. So they might tempt you into joining them. Or shame you until you abandon your attempt. Or discourage you, reminding you of your past failures and weaknesses. Or ostracize you till you return to the old life. In any change, there's forces from within and from without that oppose that change. Things always get worse before they finally get better. And so the question in any change, whether it's in Israel's life or our life, is will you persevere through the pain? Will you persevere through the pain until things get better? You know, reading the accounts of the Israelites here, they reminded me of Jesus' parable in Luke's gospel. In Luke chapter 8, Jesus told the parable of a sower who, who cast seed on four types of soil. Some seed fell on the footpath and the birds came and ate it. Some fell amongst thorns, and both wheat and weeds grew up, and then the, the weeds choked out the wheat, and some seed fell on good soil and produced an abundant crop. But the Israelites remind me of the fourth type of soil in that parable. Luke 8:13 explains that some seeds fell on the rocky soil, and the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but they have no root. They believe for a while. And in time of testing, fall away. Because you see, Israel received the prospect of freedom with great joy, with celebration and with worship. However, things get worse before they got better. And when it gets hard, a time of testing and the pain comes, what happens? The joy flees, the celebration ends, and the young plants start to die. Friends, if Israel wanted to be completely free, it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough just to embrace the prospect of deliverance. They had to embrace the pain of deliverance. And it's the same for us today, church. In 1937, German pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote what would become a classic called The Cost of Discipleship. And Bonhoeffer opened that epic work with this sentence. Cheap grace is the deadly enemy of our church. Cheap grace is the deadly enemy of our church. And he goes on to describe cheap grace as instead of following Christ, let the Christian enjoy the consolations of his grace. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. See, cheap grace celebrates the prospect of deliverance, but shuns the pain of being delivered. Cheap grace quickly springs up in celebration and quickly withers in opposition. And that's what we see happening in Israel's life. And friends, how are we? How are you? Like the people of Israel. The truth is, things always get worse before they get better. And the prospect of our deliverance in Christ might bring us joy. It might have brought you joy at first. But the pain of discipleship, of actually following Christ to full freedom, might cause you to wither and maybe settle for a quiet existence in slavery. Which is what Israel was now tempted to do. Because we see Pharaoh increase the pain of change, which discourages the Israelites from seeking change anymore. The prospect of freedom sounded great, but now it's painful. And so what do they do? They assume because it's painful that this change must not be from God. They assume because it's painful the change must not be from God. But friends, where did they get that idea? Where do we get that idea? You know, there's a lie out there today that if it's God's will, it's going to be easy. There's a lie out there that if God wants it to happen, there's going to be no struggle. There's a lie that if God desires it, it's going to be utterly painless. And friends, that's a lie. It's a lie that plagued the Israelites then. It's a lie that plagues us now. And it's a lie that keeps us in captivity. It's a lie that's going to keep the Israelites in captivity. God never promised Israel and he's never promised us that things will not get worse before they get better. God never promised that the change that we so desperately need would come without effort. God never said that freedom would come without struggle. God never said that the new wouldn't be born without pain. Friends, if you are not willing to endure the pain, and you'll simply settle for slavery in Egypt. And that's what Israel looks ready to do at the end of this chapter, doesn't it? The people blame and they even call down a curse on Moses and Aaron in verse 21. Moses and Aaron, in turn, accuse the Lord in verses 22 and 23. Friends, Israel and Moses and Aaron all blame their deliverer for their pain instead of blaming their oppressor. You know, it's like the patient who goes to the doctor and then he blames the pain of the surgery on the doctor rather than blaming the cancer that the doctor is removing. The surgery to remove Israel from Egypt might be painful, but the problem's not the surgery, the problem's the slavery. The problem is not Dr. God, it's the cancer of Pharaoh. Israel seems ready to settle for slavery because they stand in danger of rejecting the treatment of their doctor, the rescue of their deliverer. And friends, you and I are always in danger of doing the same thing. When Jesus came to deliver His people, you might remember that many people rejected Him. When Jesus was here, many people rejected Him as the Messiah because they thought the Messiah was going to be a great military leader who would lead the people in an uprising to overthrow the oppressive Roman rulers of Jesus' day. We even hear this expectation hanging around in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, when the disciples ask, Lord, will You at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? But Jesus' deliverance wasn't in the way or in the time that people expected. And so many rejected him. And in the same way, Israel seems ready to settle for slavery and reject Moses and reject the Lord's deliverance because it's just not as they expected. I think we even hear a hint of it in Moses' accusation against God. In verse 23, Moses says, Since I came to Pharaoh to speak your name, he's done evil to this people. You've not delivered your people at Did Moses and the people expect a great military defeat of Egypt? An uprising of the people? A swift and an easy victory? And when it wasn't as they expected, when it was more painful than they anticipated it was going to be, what do they do? They're ready to settle again for slavery. But friends, it always gets worse before it gets better. Israel seems ready to settle for slavery because they're ready to reject the deliverer. And friends, are we doing the same thing today? Jesus is not as I expected him to be, and following him to freedom is not what I expected it to be. Deliverance of discipleship is far more painful than I thought. Maybe slavery in my old life wasn't so bad. Israel seems ready to say, maybe we can patch things up with Pharaoh and return and settle back into slavery. The, the nation of Israel sounds like an abused woman trying to escape her husband. You know, maybe, maybe our life wasn't that bad. Maybe he was just angry and he wouldn't do that normally. Maybe it was really my fault and I shouldn't have tried to leave. And Israel gets ready to return to Pharaoh and slavery and settle in. Because, friends, it is easier in the short run to make peace with the old life than to take the trip to the new life. It is easier in the short run to settle for slavery than to pursue freedom. Because things always get harder before they get better. Change is painful, but persevere. Change is painful, but persevere. Don't give up until things get better. Often, when things are getting worse, friends, when things are getting worse, it's an indication that things are about to get better. You know, this is what the Lord says in in chapter 6, verse 1. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do for Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will send them out. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. God says, Now you're going to see. Now things are ready. Now you're ready to see. It had to get worse so that I could make them better. Now I'm ready to act. And the Lord reminds Moses and Israel of his plan again in chapter 6. Deliverance will come, maybe not as you expect Moses, maybe not as you expect Israel. There's not going to be a military coup or an uprising of the people of Israel, but deliverance will come. And Moses, Israel is going to come at my hand. Do you notice in verses 6 through 8 of chapter 6 how many times the pronoun I is used? This is the Lord speaking. He says, I'm the Lord. I will bring you. I will deliver you. I will redeem you. I will take you. I will be your God. I will bring you. I will give you. The Lord says, I'm going to do it. Do you trust me? Through the pain, can you persevere in trusting me? Through the pain, can you persevere in trusting that I will deliver? And just because there's pain doesn't mean that I'm not at work. In fact, things always get worse before they get better. And if it's painful, it doesn't mean I'm not moving. Persevere in the pain. The problem is, Israel struggles to do so. The last verse that was read for us, chapter 6, verse 9, Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they didn't listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. You see, the people, they, they loved the prospect of deliverance but they weren't ready for the pain of deliverance. And as such, they stand here ready to reject the Lord's deliverance and to simply make peace with their slave masters and settle into slavery again. And friends, are you and I in danger of doing the same? Jesus warns us when He calls us to follow Him to count the cost of following Him. Count the cost, church. Jesus says in Luke chapter 14, verses 28 and 27 and 28, Whoever doesn't bear his own cross and come up after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Count the cost. Following me to freedom as my disciple will cost you. Because things always get worse before they get better. So are you ready to embrace not just the prospect of freedom, but the pain of freedom? Or will you be like a a plant that springs up quickly in joy and dies just as quickly when the pain comes and things get tough? Israel stands at a crossroads. Things have gotten worse, so will she persevere in the pain and trust the Lord's deliverance? And friends, you and I stand at the same crossroad. We regularly stand there. Will we take up our cross? When things get worse, when persecution and opposition arise, when Jesus commands you to obey, to sacrifice, to deny yourself and your desires, will you persevere in the pain of discipleship, following Jesus all the way to freedom? Or will you settle yourself for the prospect of freedom and simply make peace with living in slavery in your old life? Israel stands at a crossroads, and so does every one of us here. It always gets worse before it gets better. And so, friends, how will you respond? Who will be God? Let's pray. Father, help us. Help us because we stand like Israel did, we stand at a crossroad. We don't like the pain. We like the idea of, of freedom. We like the idea of being, being free of sin and being made new and, and of living fully the way that you've designed us to, be, to live and, and living in freedom. But it's hard sometimes. It's painful to follow sometimes. It always seems to get worse before it gets better. So help us to persevere, to follow you through the pain and make us. Make us evermore into Your image. Give us evermore the life that You promised to give. And help us to be faithful to follow You all of our days. In Jesus' name, Amen.